One of those little radiators under the window that goes up and down, up and down, yeah, up and down. Yeah, Ruby would have had a squiggle But she that. keeps going, I'm stuck, and then they get her out. Hey, Maniacs. Hey, Maniacs. It's Mystery Maniacs. Mystery Maniacs is a comedy recap podcast dedicated to mystery TV each week. We dig into an episode of the show, including the murders, the mayhem, and the loonies, and everything else we love. This week, Murdoch Mysteries, Season 2, Episode 4, Houdini Whodunit. Chaffin' Hell. Chaffin' Hell. <laughs> Bracken Reed says that at least twice in this episode. If you can let your children see... Julia's naked shoulders in the morgue. Hey, now. They're able to watch or listen to this podcast. I think they should be more upset about the flayed corpse in the morgue than her shoulders. (laughs) I know he died from being bashed on the head, but I'm going to completely disassemble him. Yes. (laughs) Okay. Before we get into the episode. So I can find his black blood. Yeah. Before we get into the episode, we have a very exciting announcement. So, okay, we've 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 teased this, but now we have details. Mm-hmm. July 29th at 2 p.m. Eastern. Write it down right now. July 29th, 2 p.m. Eastern time. The Maniac Brainiac Midsummer Trivia Bash. Yeah, baby. Oh, baby. Two weeks from today. Yes. Well, two weeks from when we're recording. We're recording. It'll be less than two weeks when you're listening to it's this. It's going to be like a fun pub trivia Quiz. Just imagine us all getting together and having a fun pubby trivia night. Now, a couple of things. First of all, you don't have to play. You can just come and listen and have fun. Yeah. Right? Second, we have a... a You can play, though, and it's really easy. You can play, and it's really easy. I did it with the children this week, and, Mm -hmm. and it worked pretty well, and... Uh, we're giving away prizes both to winners and participants. Yeah. So you don't even have to. All you got to do is show up and uh, you have a possibility of winning something. Absolutely. Absolutely. In the meantime, though, we are using a tool we've never used before. And so we'd like to test it with a couple of people. Um, yes. The Maniac Brainiac Midsummer Trivia Bash Test. <laughs> it doesn't sound nearly <laughs> as fun. No. That will be Tuesday, the 18th of July at 8 p.m. Eastern. Eastern. U.S. Eastern. Five people. Now, what you need to do for this test, first of all, I'm not testing the questions. Mm -mm. I'm not testing your trivial knowledge. The questions will be easy. Yes. Okay? They will be super easy. I'm testing the system, and I need to get a test of all our streaming and everything. We just want to make sure that it's going to be a good experience for everybody on the day. So if you're free on on Tuesday night, that's tomorrow night, if you're listening to this the day that comes out. Yes, at 8 p.m. Eastern U.S. time. And you have, what, 30 minutes is probably what it'll take, maybe? Uh, The test itself will probably take about 15 minutes, and then I'd like to do a Zoom call for about half an hour. If that. Yeah. Just to ask, like, Just to ask a couple of questions. Yeah. Make sure it worked well. So if you're available, they should email us. Yes. So what you'll need is a computer and a phone and have done a Zoom call before. It doesn't have to be uh, like, you don't have to be on video or anything. No, no. Just a Zoom call. You can be on video. I'll be on video. But anyway, and what you need to do, if you're interested in doing that, is to send me an email at mysterymaniacspodcast.com at gmail.com with quiz test in the subject line. Yeah, and we just need a few people. So 
if you're available for half hour, 45 minutes, we'd really appreciate it. Uh, it makes it so much easier that we test it so that when the day of the event, which is July 29th, 2 p.m. Eastern yes. for the Brainiac Maniac, the Maniac Brainiac Midsummer <laughs> Trivia Bash itself. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. We've got different levels of questions. We've got categories. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to be like a hardcore Midsummer fan and know every episode by heart to get some of them right. It's going to be fun. It's like one of our live streams, but we're going to ask questions. Yeah. And it, the the program that we're using is kind of fun in itself. Yeah. It, it's kind of a neat way to do it. So, yeah. yeah. It would be a good time. I thought we'll, we'll have some fun. So drop us an email if you're available on Tuesday night to participate in a little test. Yes. Original right. air date, February 24th, 2009. Farad Mann, who directed a bunch of these already, directed this and written by... Alexander Zarwane. Alexandra. Done it. Alexandra. Yes. So I believe this is a woman who did this. I would say so. If you've not seen uh, all of Murdoch, you should know this is the first appearance of Houdini, the first mention of H.G. Wells. The first mention of, and the first appearance of Ruby. And Ruby. Yeah, Ruby Ogden, who's Julia's sister. Who is all over other seasons. <laughs> yes. She's something else. Yes, she is. She comes into the episode she like plays a little tornado. Little sister, fantastic. And as two little siblings, we recognize that, right? Yes, I am the youngest, and Sarah is also the youngest, and, and we understand. Having gone to the Institute of the Youngest Child, <laughs> it's a secret school we get sent to. <laughs> Where we learn how to do all the mean things to our older siblings. How to annoy them in sophisticated ways. I'm smarter than you, and I always will be. <laughs> yeah, I sort of said that for about 10 years, I think. <laughs> so Houdini shows up in so Station now, 4. Now I have to be careful, because now I have a second sibling listening to us. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, they're going to get on to you now. Shout out to Sharon if you're listening. Thank you for listening to our episodes. It's wonderful that my family is supporting me. So Houdini shows up in Station 4. Yes. Doing a little demonstration of escaping from a restraint jacket. Yes. Uh, and uh, handcuffs. And he actually did this to he, promote he his shows. He totally did this to promote his shows. He would go into a town like Chicago or Cleveland or Oklahoma City and go to the go to the chief of police and be like try to to put handcuffs on me. Now, he'd also call a reporter oh, to yeah. come along with him. Oh, absolutely. To cover it. So, Houdini absolutely is an interesting guy and there's tons of interesting facts that you've probably all heard about Houdini. Mm. But the, I learned 3 today that I did not know. Okay. So, the first one I learned was that Houdini appeared as himself in Weird Tales magazine. Do you know what Weird Tales is? No. It's a pulp magazine from the 20s. Okay. okay. Written in a story written by H.P. Lovecraft. Whoa, I didn't that, know that. That sort of crossover in history, I absolutely love. Yeah. It, I think it's fantastic. So I'm going to link... So now, so we have six degrees separation. We have Houdini and H.P. Lovecraft. Uh-huh. And Houdini was also really good friends with Doyle. Yeah. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Yeah. So that that's the second most interesting fact I have about him, that, that he is They like, met um, through the spiritualist movement. Yes. And then he got upset with Doyle. Yeah. Doyle got upset with him because- 
Houdini he, was a skeptic, an actual skeptic, and, yep. who, and Doyle wasn't. He wanted to believe. So Also, uh, this is not an amazing fact, but they placed him loose and fast with Houdini here. The timeline He of his would life. have totally been married to Bess by this time. Mm-hmm. Did you know? Oh, this is so sad. So Bess lived 14 years longer than Harry. They married very young. She was only 18 when they got married. Mm-hmm. Stayed married all their lives absolutely head over heels in love with each other Mm -hmm. and said they wanted to be buried together in the Jewish cemetery. Mm -hmm. And her family buried her in a Catholic cemetery. Oh, that's sad. It's so sad. I do know that he really wanted there to be life after death. He, He wanted that to be true, though he was skeptical of whether it was true. And so they had secret words between them that yep. whoever died first would, if they could come back, that's how they would prove and that it was she them. She did seances every year on his death, mm-hmm. and never had any response. And the Magic Circle, which is a place in L.A., like a magic club, mm-hmm. does a seance every year yeah. to try to contact but He really him. wanted to talk to his mom. That's kind of where it started. But. but did you know that Houdini testified in front of Congress. No. About what? What do you think? I'm going to say spiritualist psychics. Yes. And debunking them. They were going to ban fortune tellers in D.C. And Houdini came and spoke at this. In favor or against? Against. Uh, Sorry, in favor. In favor of banning them. Not only that, he also had infiltrated all of the DC spiritualist communities with with compatriots mm-hmm. and found out which congressmen were using spiritualists to decide on policy. Whoa. They were going and getting their cards read to help them decide on policy? That is so low. And named names wow. in Congress. <laughs> they must have been like, you're a psychic. How do you know that? The spiritualists <laughs> were so upset that the lead spiritualist in D.C. said he'd be dead within the year. That and Houdini would be. And he was. Wow. That may be the one thing that guy said that was true. In addition, he said he put up 10K. This is 26, 1926. Houdini put up 10K. Put up 10K for anyone that could prove a spiritualist was real. Yeah. He's the amazing Randy before amazing Randy. He, uh, I read a great, a great quote, a great quote from that, which he said, if, I, if, if a, an apparition materialized before me in one of these spiritual sessions and I pulled out a gun and shot it, I would not be culpable for murder wow but you would have killed somebody because you would have been their their lackey sidekick in a sheet (laughs) like that i want video of that yeah that would be so fantastic when he started naming people's names the jaws must have really dropped absolutely so those are all our murdoch facts about houdini uh he is the king of escape artists he wasn't a great magician that's, that's not what he did. Yeah. I mean, he did illusions, but mostly he was a, a scopologist. He was indeed. And so in this episode, he's in Toronto doing a show at, at the, the Shaftesbury, Shaftesbury, which is named after the production company. Yeah, that's that a little show. fun. It's fun. The poster they have out front, the Houdini, the handcuff king he's poster. Ca- he's kind of bent over. It's a classic. Yeah, he's in his underwear. 
No, yeah. he's in tux. Oh, but that's there's right. little he's vignettes of him around yeah, the outside yeah. edge doing yeah, he's things. He's in the tux. That's a 1906 poster, so this yeah. is about 10 years too early for it, but it's a great poster. So there, there is film of Houdini. It's all later in life, of course. Yeah. And there is audio of his voice, too. I'm just amazed at how charismatic he was from such a young age because he was a natural showman, you know, self-promoter. He, he absolutely understand self-promotion. This is It's so smart for him to go and challenge the police and give them free tickets. And, and I love how people are like, he used to do all this stuff to get attention. That's his job. Yeah. His job was to get himself attention so that he could charge people tickets so that they would come and see him. Yeah. Butts and seats make money. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. No. No. He wasn't hurting anybody. They do use this poster everywhere. It is probably the most popular Houdini poster ever printed. No, but like in the set, it's like five or six places in the background. Yeah. You're like... He's with um, a guy who he says is the brother, right? Houdini brothers, but he's not really his brother. He's Leopold Romanoff, who is a fellow illusionist, but acting as his assistant for the show. And now he he actually did perform with his brother for a little while. Yeah. But mostly he was known as the Houdinis, and it was him and, and Bess. Yeah, his wife. Murdoch gets roped into going with Julia and Bracken Reed and George. Yeah. And I love how Murdoch is like, he must be doing this with mirrors. And everyone's poo-pooing and him. Like, Shut up. You're ruining it. But, I am that person in an audience for an illusionist. Yes. That's all I think about is how are yeah. they doing it. Yeah. <laughs> I never, I can never I just sit about. back and enjoy it. I can't. I've learned by watching illusionists that when they say, look at this, I look in the opposite direction. I look everywhere direction. else. Yep, I look in the absolute opposite direction. And one of the things you might see in the opposite direction is Julia being upset. She is visibly upset. And As soon as Ruby as is revealed? As soon as Ruby is revealed. Yeah, wouldn't you be? Oh my gosh. If you, if you were sitting there and one of your sisters was on stage. <laughs> Sharon, what are what? you doing? Wait a minute, that's my sister. <laughs> You're talking about look here, don't look there. When they do the pan of the street, so it's the Shaftesbury Theater, a bank. The Shaftesbury Theater, there's a bank. Hey, did you notice there's a bank? It's right next door. It's a it's a bank. A bank is there. Bankity bank bank. There's the theater. There's the bank. They show you like five times. Like, don't forget, there's a bank. And it's right next door. Then right next door, there's a bank. Yes. And there's a robbery going on. Banks have vaults and vaults have money. Yes. And people like money, so they take money from banks. Hey, guess what's going to happen? So Houdini (laughs) goes into into the safe and his assistant, Leopold, turns over an hourglass. Yeah. So for 11 minutes, that's how long he's got to get out of the safe. Let me just say before you go on about the the hourglass, this is one lame trick. He gets into a safe that has a false bottom and yeah. leaves to the trap door of the stage. That is so obvious. I don't think Houdini would have ever done that. No, I don't it's think so. It's too incredibly obvious. And like he's in a bag and he has some chains on him, but like Houdini would get out of that in two seconds. It's still a false bottom. Yeah. They would have wheeled the the safe around to prove that it wasn't that. Yeah. At least. So they flip over an hourglass. So how old do you think hourglasses are? I would assume that they're a thousand years old at least. No. I would have thought they were sundial era. No. No. They are mechanical clock era. 
Oh. They're only roughly 700 years old. There's a couple of reasons why. One, they didn't have the glass ability to make it like this. It is pretty complex right? glass, yeah. And second of all, so this is like, it's a timer. It's not a clock. Right. And it's also... you. So you need a clock to create one. Yes. And it's also not very good in the sense that like... The sand is affected by things like humidity and all sorts of things, right? The benefit of it that they didn't have before, like they had water clocks before, but the, the they couldn't count down like that. The benefit of it is that it's reusable. Yeah. Right. You can just keep flipping it over and you can visually see how much time is left. So early 14th century, probably monks. Who That's are way later there. than I thought. Yeah, absolutely. Largest hourglass in the world. Take a guess. Guess at how big it is? Yeah. And it has a ton of sand in it. 20 feet tall. I don't know. It is 17 and a half feet tall. I was close. Yep. Where is that? It Who is, has that? Why do they have that? How long does it take? It is in the Nima Sand Museum in Japan. Wait a minute. It's a museum for sand? Yes. Okay. <laughs> it has... An, est, an estimated 2,200 pounds of sand. So there's a ton of mm-hmm. sand in it with somewhere in the neighborhood of 629 trillion grains of sand. And they never flip it over because it's too heavy. Nope. They flip it over once a month, year. Oh, it takes a year for the sand to change from top to bottom. Wow. And on top of it, it's singing sand. So the oh, that sand sound cool. that rubs together makes this eerie Ooh, yep, sound, yeah. Sound as it goes through. I've only ever heard of singing sands in deserts. So they make really cool sounds. Yep. Well, this is I think that is a fantastic item to have in a sand museum. If you're gonna have a museum for sand, you better have a timer. Yeah. Okay. In so, the meantime, I'll do more tricks while he's in the safe. Yeah. <laughs> silently doing nothing. Um, And Romanoff, like, he saws Ruby in half. He stabs her with swords through a case. And, you know, like, he's just doing run-of-the-mill tricks. Yeah. And I guess Ruby's just little enough that she can contort in the box and avoid the swords and all that. It is already bad enough that magician assistants are not magician assistants. Magician assistants are also magicians. Yeah who play a different role than the lead magician. Right. So already they get a bum rap. And yeah. Ruby, who's like, I'm a journalist, so I can do anything. <laughs> it takes years of training to pull these tricks off as well as she's doing. Yeah. But, you know, she's Ruby. She yeah. can do anything. That's kind of her thing. Chuffing hell. Meanwhile, somebody's running from the bank wearing a tux and then conveniently slips into the theater, and making sure somebody seen. sees them. Yeah. Yep. With apparently $152,000 in a bag the size of a purse. Yeah. That it must be not. in really big denominations, <laughs> like thousands. We have two bills. One is a $72,000 bill. <laughs> this is a $72,000 bill. I didn't know they made those. Loonies, toonies. 172,000. Is that yes. the denomination? It's, that's how it works. Okay. <laughs> and then, of course, Houdini just appears at the back of the theater. Da da da. Because that's what you do in a trick like that. Well, right? and that's a fantastic trick. If you've ever seen it, 
It is exciting to see an illusion do that. But meanwhile, at the bank, somebody's dead. So now we know it's on. Jonah Deckard is dead. We all just happened to be here. Conveniently, all the police are next door. Okay, I'm going to tell you, as the chief superintendent of the Toronto police, maybe I'm breaking up station four because all they do is create dead bodies. (laughs) Well, you don't know that all the other stations aren't having just as many. That's true. They're probably going unsolved because they don't have a Murdoch. So what we have here is three episodes. We have, hey, it's Houdini, and he does weird stuff, and he's a young kid, and he'd be 22 at this time. Mm-hmm. And he he and Bracken Reed don't get along. Right. So we have that. We have the second story, which is Ruby, Julia, and Murdoch. Murdoch. And then we have a not a bad whodunit, mm-hmm. right? So that's why I think, and I told you this when we were when I was telling you about preparing for the episode. This uh, episode hums along. It does. You you're you're like, whoa, we're halfway through already. There's a lot going on. Yeah, absolutely. Poor Jonah gets banged on the head. Biggest deposit of the year. Yeah, that would be five point five million dollars today. I can remember when we first saw this. I do remember first seeing this, going, oh, it's the bank manager. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, it's the bank manager. Sims, I love Murdoch's model of of the bank and the theater. He uses pencils for the bars around the vault. (laughs) It's so cute. In a season of dioramas and a show of dioramas, (laughs) this may be his finest diorama in this season. We don't get to see enough of it. I wish we got to see more of it. We do. Bracken Reed walks in and says, playing with your toys? (laughs) Yeah, maybe. And I love, Bracken Reed comes into the station house. He's like, don't worry about it. I got to figure it out. I'm going to draw it here on the chalkboard. There's a theater. There's a bank. Houdini goes from the theater to the bank, takes the money, and then he goes back. See, I figured it out. Did you stay up all night working (laughs) on that, Bracken Reed? (laughs) Like, okay, so basically you just said Houdini did it. Good job. Okay. By the way, it was Houdini. And I understand why they think it's Houdini. Obviously, he's they the criminals want it to appear as if it's Houdini, who of course has an alibi. Yeah. Kind of, right? He's not in the safe, but where was he? And he won't tell Brackenreed where he was. He won't divulge and- the secret of his trick, which is Trap door, slip out the back, come in the front of the theater, ta-da. And Houdini really was famous anything. for this. Yeah, if it had been a good trick, I could understand why he wouldn't divulge yeah. it. But what he's really keeping secret is whether he was just like downstairs having a cup of coffee or he had to pee during those 11 minutes or what. Like whatever Murdoch he's doing lo- is Murdoch not Murdoch looks secret. at the safe for three like three seconds. Three and goes, seconds is trap goes, door. It's trapdoor. So where he was doesn't really matter if there was nobody there to see him. Yep. But Houdini not being willing to give up the secret, I think, is totally legitimate for an illusionist like him. They don't want to divulge that because they don't know how many more people will find out about it. There is one example of that actually happening, and it's to David Copperfield of all people. Who inherited who bought a lot of Houdini's stuff. Yeah. From the inheritance. He of has, course he did. He uh, he David Copperfield has uh, a well-known collection collection of magic items. He emphasizes inf- well, well, not real magic items like D and D magic. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't have a bag of holding or anything. David Copperfield is infamously known for supposedly making the Statue of Liberty disappear. Right? He did. I saw it live on television, CBS. Yeah, no tricks. I absolutely saw it. But in 
2018, he was performing in Vegas and he brought 13 uh, volunteers from the audience up onto the stage and then he made them disappear. Yeah. And they reappeared at the back of the theater, just like Houdini does here. And one of the volunteers was an elderly guy. And of course, they shuffle the volunteers through like a little tunnel and around the back and up through the front of the theater. And this old man fell during that hustle and hurt himself. And he sued Copperfield and he sued the MGM Grand in Vegas for his injury. Because I guess they were really hustling them. I guess. Which means they shouldn't take a volunteer that doesn't look able-bodied, right? Yeah. But the court forced Copperfield to give away exactly how the trick is done so that they could assess whether or not he was responsible did they protect him like he only had to tell the judge no no he said it in court oh wow and the stage production manager backed him up and had diagrams and they walked the jury through the path that they had to go and everything like that trick is no longer a trick it's completely revealed yeah but it's just as lame as this trick yeah oh there's a trap door and they go through a hallway like that's all there is to it there's it's all the showmanship that makes it look you know, incredible. Well, have you actually seen him, David Copperfield? Live? Yeah. In person? Yes. No. I have been less than I'm away from you, I saw him. So Was he magical? Actually, he was. <laughs> so this was in the 80s in Ottawa. He was doing a show, but uh, there's a place in Ottawa called the Byward Market, which is this big marketplace. And he was there on the afternoon of a show. It was Doing like set, street magic? And he did hands-on street magic and then put a bucket around for uh the uh the children's hospital oh in can that's in cool ottawa it's a good way it to, to super, drum up publicity it too. Drum, drummed up publicity and he looked like he was amazing at hand magic oh he's gotta be fantastic hand anybody magic. who does that like penn and teller are incredible in person yeah so murdoch is going to have to interview everybody involved with the, sh- the show yeah right because he doesn't think Houdini did it, but they can't, and they've got to prove, you know, who, who did do it then, right? Yep. So he goes to Julia to warn her that he's going to have to interview Ruby. Yes. That's the whole purpose of his visit <laughs> is to say, I'm going to talk to your sister. Yes. <laughs> Just so you know, I'm going to talk to which, her. Which is okay. No, yeah. I think it's a sign of affection for her. I think so too. Because he picks up on the chemistry between Julia and Ruby pretty quickly and yeah. thinks, all right, little sister, troublemaker, makes Julia nervous. Julia's not nervous very often. Yeah. I'm going to cover my basis. Why is she washing the floor in her underwear? Because she's understaffed. Yeah. And she's not in her underwear. She just has her skirt clipped up. But, but Poor she, woman. She looks like she's doing everything all at the same she time. Does, she doesn't say it at first that she's understaffed. And I'm just like, why is Julia washing the floor? I'm just glad it's getting washed. Yes. That place should be splattered in blood all the time. No soap, no gloves, no nothing. No PPE in that place. Your skirt is not PPE, Julia. Old days. Brackenreed and Houdini do not get along, and it's wonderful. It is, and the copper tub scene is great. <laughs> and when Houdini cuffs Brackenreed to the table without him <laughs> noticing, and all the constables are outside the not one way window, yes. giggling and then run off. It's uh, so I, good. I gotta go. <laughs> it's so good. Three minutes and 22 seconds without air is how long he lasts. 
just it's a good long time. To me, the relationship between Bracken Reed and Houdini is like a combo of the young whippersnapper who's like coming up in your field and thinks they know more than you do and always, you know, is challenging you. And like the first guy your daughter brings home for a date. Yeah, <laughs> like, I would. Do not keep this boyfriend. I'm sorry. He is not respectful of me because yes. Houdini knows exactly what he's doing. He has all the attitude, but he has the skill to back it up Yeah, and is not afraid of Bracken Reed at all. No, if Houdini was just a little bit smarter, he would be like, he's dealt you know, with he would acquiesce a little a bit. A bunch of Bracken Reeds. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. But he's so charming. He does it. He He's very good at being charming. But you know what time it is. It's George's weird corner time. <laughs> so George he's, has a theory. He's eating a little constable who's holding a big bar of butter. <laughs> I don't know what what he's supposed to. It's something yellow, the little statue of the, the miniature constable. Yeah, something. But and he, he keeps, keeps putting it putting in his, his mouth. mouth. Like, George, get it out of your mouth. This is my diorama. <laughs> Don't eat my diorama, George. Don't eat my diorama. Yeah, his theory is that Houdini covered himself in <laughs> butter and slid through the vents. And then we have the great moment where Murdoch goes, maybe he's right. And Bracken Reed's just <laughs> like, what? <laughs> Chuff in hell. He, but he wasn't covered in butter when he came back to the theater. Yes. <laughs> so couldn't have done it. But it's Ruby. Now, of course, what the real problem is with going in the vents, as Mythbusters proved, is it's incredibly loud if you go through the vents. Never mind. They don't support your weight. They don't support your weight. And those vents wouldn't be there. Yes. Because those are vents for electrical ventilation and not gas. Yes. So, so. <laughs> she would have had to fit through a radiator. <laughs> One of those little radiators under the window that goes up and down, up and down, yeah, up and down. Yeah, Ruby would have had a squiggle. She that. keeps going, I'm stuck. And then they get her out in like two seconds. Well, she said her shoulders were wedged. Yes. She says she has to take her dress off because it was too bulky and she couldn't fit. Where did she leave it? I don't know. On the other end of the vent? Where's I guess. the other end of the vent? Outside? Murdoch's like, put my coat on, please. Did right she now. go in from the roof? Ah. Uh. Well, she's in the equivalent of bra and panties. Yeah, absolutely. So I can understand why he wants absolutely. to cover her up. Never mind if Julia finds out, oh, you saw my sister in her underwear today. Oh, yeah. Great. Yeah. Never mind, he goes to dinner with her. Like, woof. Oh, he, Murdoch. Murdoch is so out to lunch here. But we do get angry Murdoch at the end of this scene where he's like, you better. I won't hesitate to arrest you. Yeah. Like, and don't mess with my girlfriend either. Yeah, because I like her, but I'm not saying anything. <laughs> Ruby is a little, yeah, she's a little sister yeah, in all those ways, but she's not dumb. No. And she doesn't want Murdoch. She wants Julia and Murdoch to get together. She's just not very good at going about it. And when does she let slip that Jules has the record? Oh, in the in the bank. She says, well, I'm not the one who's got the record. Yeah. And Crabtree goes, Dr. Ogden was arrested? And we're like, uh-oh, make a note of that. Yep. <laughs> Julia has a criminal record? I deal with logic, not feelings. Really? Because <laughs> there's a lot of feels from you, Murdoch. Yeah. In this episode especially. That's all right, because Julia is finding out that the guard was injected in the eyeball. Yes. In the eyeball. Because his blood is black. How do you think he did the... the made that injection like by the way corpse of the week that eyeball yeah <laughs> i think it's just an eye drop or something 
I guess with so. some red coloring in it. I mean, theoretically, I think you could probably take a food safe marker and and put a dot on your eye, and it would last for a second before yeah, it teared out. It wouldn't take a lot. When Ruby goes to see the body, she the, there's the smell of tobacco, mm-hmm. right? Um, and she it, does what everybody would do. Oh, it's so gross. <laughs> Meanwhile, did. Julia's like shoving her face into a flayed human being. I'm going to taste a little bit of this. Yeah, you're right. Tobacco. Tobacco tasty. That being said, some of your face closer. Some of the best writing in the episode is their talk here about their parents. Yeah. Where she says, have you visited mother? And we're like, mother? And she goes, I haven't been to the sanitary for a while. And Ruby helps her put her hair back up. Yep. And then daddy hasn't seen you. He wants to have us to go to the rowing club for lunch. And then they get into Murdoch and how gorgeous he is. And I think it's just well done writing. I do too. Yep. Ruby clearly wants her sister to be happy. And if she can't talk her into just getting over herself, she'll just make her jealous enough that she has to admit it. Okay, so now I have a problem here. Mm-hmm. So, first of all, they leave Julia working and mm-hmm. they go out for dinner, okay? But second of all, Julia is testing all of these poisons on giant test tubes of blood. Yes. <laughs> Where does she get... All of this blood. I think it's like pig blood or something. I, I think get, she would have got it from. I, I'm worried the constables are going to fall <laughs> down. <laughs> All the constables are lined up to donate. Yeah. <laughs> so she's got enough vials to test. So then we have Punny Murdoch because he shows up at the at the morgue mm-hmm. and he's full of puns. <laughs> Your conviction of character. And she says, oh, puns, the lowest form of humor or something like that. Yes. And then he imagines her naked. Yes. What? In the morgue. She says she was skinny dipping. That's how she got arrested. Yep. And she was a student at At the time. At Hanlon's Point. And then he's like, oh, you skinny dipping naked. Oh, she's like. Hello, Murdoch. He's like, yes. Yeah. Sorry, I was just imagining you naked, standing over a dead body, <laughs> looking for an injection site. This is. <laughs> it's so weird. It's the wrong place, Murdoch. It, it is. <laughs> but the dinner would have been a worse. Place. Oh gosh. Yes, it would have been worse. I mean, this is really the one place they always hang out. Is yes, the, is the morgue. So if he's gonna, but it really should have been in Murdoch's office. Uh, I don't know. I think the fact that it's in the morgue is funny. It's clearly meant to be funny. She's got her back to him. Oh, Houdini's escaped. <laughs> he's at Bracken Reed's desk with his feet up. Like He's a slippery fish. You're not going to keep him. Murdoch finds out, figures out that it's an inside job and goes to confront the bank manager outside of the bank manager bank. Who is guilty as guilty, guilty, guilt. And then goes, Tom, back to station four. And I'm like, mom, mom, I got a part. I'm Tom. Yeah, I get to I get to drive the horse. Though we don't see a horse. It's probably some intern pulling pulling the carriage off, off camera. <laughs> Leopold Romanov plays with poppers. Yeah, and says he's not Houdini's brother. He just pretends to be his brother. And just gives away a whole bunch of information. Then Murdoch has the vault lock or a version of the vault lock, the time lock, right? So the whole idea of this vault in the bank is that instead of having a combination or a key, like you might use during the day to get in it, 
When the bank is closed, based on the time the bank's open and closed, the vault has a lock that knows what time it is and will not open for any circumstance during that time. Yes. Do you know why they had to move to that kind of lock on a bank vault? Because people would come in during bank hours and rob the bank. They could still do that with a time lock. That doesn't prevent that because during the day, the vault's secured with standard methods. Okay, I don't know. They had to do it because in the 1860s and 70s, so many bank managers were kidnapped. Oh yeah, that's right. Because they knew the combination or they had a key. That's right. They would kidnap them or kidnap their families and and hold them hostage. Hold them hostage. But with time locks, no takes one it, could get in. Takes it out of their hands completely. Yeah. And I I spent way too much time looking at the Sergeant and Greenleaf time lock. Oh. And I can tell you that the, the lock that Murdoch is playing around with there in the station, it's genuine. It is one of them. That's what they look oh, like. Oh, really? They, That's super cool. They're like gold and brass and all these gears and knobs. and They're beautiful. What I was really surprised by is they haven't changed that much. No. So Sergeant and Greenleaf sell, sell time locks to this day, and they have models that look nearly like that. Well, you want it to be mechanical, not digital, because right. you don't want it powered by anything. There were time locks that were electronic for a little while, but they were just too vulnerable. They were too easy to get into yeah. Um, through, yeah, cutting the power. They had backup power, but they also thought these can be hacked, right, yeah. uh, in all kinds of ways. And so they didn't stick around. So... The time locks that are available now look nearly like what you see in this episode. They're just not nearly as fancy. They don't oh, have as much. still in business? That's super Yeah, cool. yeah. I looked That's at their catalog fun. today. Um, By the way, this is the first appearance of George in a fountain pen. Yeah, which he also puts in his mouth. Yes. What is wrong with what him? What is wrong with George in his mouth? Do you put butter on it? <laughs> at this time, though, the lock would have cost almost as much as the vault. Wow. They were really expensive. Super expensive. Yeah. And, luckily, it, and the Ruby, Jesse James things he refers to, that's true. Luckily, Ruby comes in and is way too forward. But let me take you out to dinner to make my sister jealous so she'll admit that she loves you. Meanwhile, back in the morgue, Julia still doing homework. <laughs> <laughs> still putting droppers of stuff into vials of stuff. Nope, not black. So the, She doesn't have an assistant. What I wish is Murdoch should be more like Murdoch should be... I don't feel comfortable doing this, but you're her sister, so I want to make her happy, so I'm going to go with you. But instead, he's kind of like, hey, let's go. Yeah, I don't know why he's willing to go out to dinner with her in the first place. Yes, it seems weird. I think what he might have done is said, yeah, and let's invite Julia to go. And meanwhile, (laughs) George is like, yeah, he's not here. He went out with your sister. (laughs) They're probably kissing right now. So Julie arrives at the restaurant, unbuttons, and pinches her cheeks. What do you think about this? She knows her sister is glamorous and she can't compete. Yeah. But I love that once she sits down, they start talking about the case and they do not stop. Yeah. They clearly have more in common. And Ruby doesn't object. She's like, I'm just going to sit back and eat my potatoes. Because that's what she wanted to happen the whole time. Yeah, I think so. I don't think she wants Murdoch. No, I don't think so. She's not going to be in Toronto for five minutes. She's going to leave. You know, she doesn't need to hurt her sister's feelings. No, she's got bigger fish to fry. Yeah, H.G. Wells. So then Murdoch whispers to the sister, and Julia does such a great... uh, Helena... Is like like steam coming out of her ear. Because now she's in sister mode because he's not there. Yeah. What did he say? 
None of your business. <laughs> it's such a good dynamic between them. And it always is. Yeah. They do a great job. At yeah. This. It's well written and well acted. Oh, Sims is dead. Yeah. So everybody must be dead. His poor secretary. Yes. It's like, he's in his office. He's not to be disturbed. Ah, he's dead. <laughs> Mom, Mom, I got a part. Why does everybody smell like tobacco? <laughs> so because the guard and Sims are both dead, there's got to be a third person involved. Yeah. And it's not Ruby. She's not the mastermind. It's got to be somebody who knew there was going to be a lot of money and knew the magic trick. So it's got to be Robinov. Yep, we're running out of people. But now we have a chance to have Houdini and, and Murdoch team up. Because all these, really, the show should really be called Murdoch's Mystery Team-Ups. Well, don't forget, we also have the Murdoch and Julia drop things in vials of blood party. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to help? Sure. I've got lots of blood. Where I've, did you get it? Never mind. I've got lots of poison. Let's Where did see. you get it? Never mind. I have a two liter container of nicotine. <laughs> she keeps it in an ice box. Boy, it smells like tobacco. It smells like tobacco in here. Oh, so, let's clink droppers together. Clink. So this is <laughs> this is uh, a good explanation of, of illusions and how they work. If I make a train disappear, there's only two situations it could be. Either it appears to disappear and it's still there, or, or it was, it was never, never there. there in the first place. Yeah. And once you begin to look at illusions like that, you begin to figure them out. You just have to question your assumption, right? So the assumption is that somebody was able to open the vault through a lock that is impossible to unlock. Yes. So the answer has to be they got into the vault without opening the lock. How do you do that? And you put a, an engineer in that mix and you're like, well, obviously there's some difference to the walls or yeah. to the bank itself. Yeah. And we're supposed to believe that while the vault was installed, Sims and Deckard, the guard, managed to create basically a false wall next to it and nobody would have noticed. Yeah, so this plan is incredibly well planned out and executed, and then they become stupid people. Um, yeah. So there's a movie called A Simple Plan. It's from a book called Simple Plan. It's, it's a really fantastic movie. But that movie is about stupid people who find a bunch of money and they do stupid things <laughs> right away. And that's what I love about that movie is there are regular people who do stupid things with that money. Which normal people would do. Which absolutely normal people. These people are incredible planners. Yeah, because the three of them were in prison in the U.S. Yep. together and must have hatched the plan then. Right. The, so so Sims goes to Canada, reinvents himself, gets a job at a bank, gets promoted to manager, yep. hires Deckard to be a guard just before the bank agrees to install a vault with a new impenetrable lock. Beside a theater. Beside a theater, just in time for Romanoff to get a job being the fake Houdini brother and convinces Houdini to go to Toronto to perform in that theater so they can rob that bank it's and frame Houdini. Incredible amount of coincidences. And it would take such a long period of time. Like it would have been like, you can't clean out our cell. This is our planning room. Yeah. <laughs> like they would have had to made a diorama. <laughs> Meanwhile, Sims is like studying banking on his in his free time. They're all smoking cigarettes like crazy people. He didn't even change his name. No. Because when they went to look up his record, they found it fairly easily. So <laughs> 
Well, it says here that you have a record for robbery and have been in jail. But How does manager say you're applying to be a bank manager? I think we can trust you. You know how criminals think. You won't let us get robbed. Oh, did did you, the first book that Houdini published was all about how criminals work. Smart. Yeah, it was it was super interesting. I looked at a couple of chapters in it. Or was it a double bluff so that people didn't think he was a criminal? No, no, he just was like, this is how criminals steal your money and steal your things and stuff like that. Nice. Super interesting. Okay. So they catch Romanoff before he can run off. Yes. Uh, it's totally sad trombone. <laughs> oh, I was on my way to the train station. Darn it. With my big vat of liquid tobacco. You and your giant dog caught me. I mean, sister. <laughs> and my syringe. Then Houdini's back in the station house. Yes. Doing his tricks again. And Bracken Reed gets his revenge. Yes, with glue a little trick i like to call glue that's not a <laughs> trick <laughs> but i like that yes i like that bracken reed gets his come up you know houdini gets his come up and via bracken reed because i want bracken reed to have the respect of of the station house yeah and if he looked like houdini was victimizing him over and over again he wouldn't and Another sad trombone moment where he's like, mruh, mruh, mruh. Oh, you got me, Bracken Reed. Oh, you got me. Ruby's like, go hang out with Jules. Yeah. Get her outside some more. Would you like to go out to dinner and talk about okay. a case about a young swimmer's blatant disregard for clothing? I think this. Whoa. This is. I've been thinking about you naked for days. This is the most forward we see of Murdoch. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. He is right on flirting here. Yes, he is. He's got the big eyelashes. Blank, blank, blank. And she she at first is like, oh, oh, okay. Oh, oh. The whole <laughs> ending is, the whole ending is, oh. It's oh. very like the, the end of an old murder she wrote episode where there was like some little joke and then it freeze frames with everybody laughing. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is totally like that. <laughs> Best corpse, I think we both agree it's Deckard because they get to pry his eyeball that open. eyeball, man. And then he gets flayed like a fish. And that's like... And Julia sticks her nose in blood. him. <laughs> Let me get right in there and get a good whiff. Yeah. Tobacco. So a bunch of people go to jail here. Yeah. Houdini needs a new assistant. Well, a bunch of people who? Deckard doesn't, he's dead. Sims doesn't, he's dead. Romanoff goes to jail. Who else goes to jail? Oh, Romanoff. That's, That's it. it. Yeah. Now, if it was in today's money, we'd be looking for all the people who helped them accomplish all this stuff. Yes. But, yeah, you know, it's Murdoch. So, Romanoff goes to jail. Ruby's off to her next adventure. Which we or see. Or following Houdini more, I guess. We see Ruby. I don't think we see her again this season, but we see her next season. Yeah, we see her more. When H.G. Uh, Wells shows up. There's she, a spoiler. She's always hanging out with people she should Questionable men. And writing about them. He read them. it to me in his backyard. He's an amorist. That's a long book. And that was after she was with the Raj. And also, India. okay, if you've read, have you read Time Machine? Mm -hmm. Time Machine is a lot of social commentary with a very little science fiction at the beginning. Yeah. Like the whole Morlocks I was disappointed and, as a kid how little sci-fi there yeah, was. Like you, you see... You see Time After Time or the Time Machine movie with uh, Malcolm McDowell 
in it. Like those are exciting mm-hmm. and interesting. And the Malcolm McDowell one has like Jack the Ripper in it. Yeah. And like, it's fantastic. It's That's so, time after time, isn't it? No, time after time is the, the, uh, that it may be time after time. Yeah. The other one I was thinking of is the Christopher Reed time travel. Yeah. One. Okay. So there, there's those two and they're exciting and fantastic mm-hmm. made for television movies. And then <laughs> you read the time machine book and you're like, this is all about one class of people being oppressed by another class and of people. this is really archaeology kind of. Yeah. Like it's, it's kind of folklore It's yeah. kind of. Go to Lilliput or something. Yeah. <laughs> Do something fun. He's great ideas. Not the best storyteller. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm going to say. Well, that is Houdini Whodunit. Yes. Whodunit, Se- Romanov did it. Season two, episode four. <laughs> Next week, we will be season two, episode five, The Green Muse. Do you remember this episode? No. Oh, you don't? I don't know. I'm going to say I know some, I've seen it I'll say many something, times. and either you'll be shocked or you'll remember. Murdoch and Julia go to the park and drink absinthe. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Almost get naked. And there it's talk of condoms. The green fairy. Yeah. Like, wow. They're, like Nothing happens. It, <laughs> wow. <laughs> She's a modern woman and he's a Catholic prude. I'm I'm not I'm not surprised by Julia. No. But I'm Murdoch's surprised. Like, Whoa. Murdoch's like, we're getting it on. Well, later he doesn't <laughs> touch alcohol. He doesn't drink at all. So yeah. Yeah. Murdoch's drinking is on again, off again. They're Whatever get, the plot needs is his on again, off but again. But with the absent, they're getting a little crazy. They, and then uh, later on, they smoke opium together, too. They do a teeth. Wow. Wild and crazy times. Yep, absolutely. So, just to recap off the beginning, we have the Maniac Brainiac Midsummer Trivia Bash Test, <laughs> which will be... Tuesday the 18th at 8 p.m. If you're interested in helping me out, I need five or six people. Mystery Maniacs Podcast at gmail.com with the subject quiz test. Yes. And I'll send you all the instructions that you need. You need a telephone. You need a telephone. A cell phone. You need a telephone a with a dial on it. <laughs> you need a cell phone. You need a smartphone. Yes. And you need uh, a a computer. a computer to see YouTube or uh, that where the stream will be. And, and the email that I send you will have all the links plus the Zoom link. It'll there. be easy to do. That's the whole yes. point. That's what yes. we're testing it is that be, it's easy. It will be super easy. So if you've got. And you don't have to log in or give no. your information or anything. No. So if you've got 30, 45 minutes on Tuesday night, please send us an email. We'd love to have your help. That is in preparation for the official the Maniac Brainiac Midsummer Trivia Bash on July 29th at 2 p.m. Eastern U.S. time. Yes. We hope you will join us. We hope you'll join us. And we're back again next week for an episode. And then we do the Trivia Bash. And then we're off for two weeks because we become the busiest human beings on the planet. Again. Again. It happens every once in a while. I can't believe school is coming. Don't <laughs> say that. <laughs> I said it to the children the other day and they were like, you're lucky you're out of my arms reach right now. I just go to work every day. I know. That's why you can say that kind of crap because it doesn't impact you. I'm like, shut up. (laughs) Okay, maniacs. (laughs) Bye, maniacs. Bye, maniacs.
was a mean thing to say right at the end too.